when it first happened. The minutes felt like hours. The hours felt like days. And the horror of what happened, one detail after another, could hardly be processed, much less understood. Then days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into years. Memorials were built. Wars were fought. Victims' names were read. Survivors tried to pick up the pieces, over and over again. But no matter how much time has passed, we vow to hold these memories. We will never forget those who were taken from us. The world changes and shifts this way and that. But one thing stays constant. One thing is steady. God. God weeps with us. God mourns with us. God bottles up our tears and records them in his book. He is closer to you than your own breath and remains the cornerstone of life. God is the solid ground holding us up as the world moves beneath us. It's as true today as it was on that day. Our God reigns. He reigns over principalities and powers. His dominion stretches beyond what our eyes can see. And when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, our God reigns, and we will always remember. sure how to transition to a welcome after that, but um, thank God that he's still alive and he's still on the throne. Amen? Amen. Well, church, I do want to welcome you today to the house of the Lord, and uh, whether you're upstairs, downstairs, online, offline, I just pray today that Christ is exalted, God is glorified, and that the Holy Spirit will continue to sanctify his people so that we will look more and more like Jesus Christ, our Savior, and less like ourselves. I don't know about you, but every time I look in the mirror, I wish the very same. Well, I just have a few announcements for you this morning. Um, Deacons, just a reminder that this afternoon at 3 p.m. there will be a meeting. And then the nominating committee on September 13th at 7, uh, we are also having a meeting, so please plan to attend. If you uh, need to look in the bulletin, there is a list of committee members there, so please take a look. If you're on there, please plan to attend. And then don't forget, this Saturday, the 17th from 6 to 10, or whenever the movie's over, on the Midway Playground, we are going to have a family outdoor movie night. And so please, if you haven't done so, register. Uh, there's some pew slips there in the back that you can fill out, adults and kids. Just let us know how many is coming so we make sure we have enough food and, of course, popcorn. Uh, you can't watch a good movie without some popcorn, so please let us know about that. And also, K through 5th. Pals is ramping up, starts Monday the 19th. Uh, we are in need of a few extra hands to volunteers, so if you feel like you would like to help with crafts or music, um, maybe games or recreation, that sort, please let me know and I will get you all the information you need. And uh, it's from three to five, the first and third Monday of every month. 
So if you have not done so, let us know your child plans to attend so we can let the schools know. Westwood and um, I always forget, which one's out there on <laughs> Mountain View? And Blue Ridge will send the van, the Midway van, to pick them up. Just let us know so we can get a list to the schools. That starts Monday the 19th. And also this year, it's been a while since we've done this, but we are going to have Trunk or Treat on October 31st. That's a Monday this year. So we do need some folks who are willing to decorate their trunks or their vehicles. If you would like to do that, uh, please sign up. There's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board out there. So please sign up on your way out. And if you hadn't noticed, there's a container in the hallway as you walk down there um, to put candy in, candy donations. Don't worry. Steve promises it won't get eaten, it'll get handed out, but uh, we are in uh, need of some candy donations, so please, yeah, I mean, none of that pinata candy, we need chocolate, so, just, just donate what you can, we'd appreciate that, it's, uh, there's a, um, a bin out there, and then last, the middle school is looking for some prayer warriors to help uh, pray for a teacher at the middle school, and then there is more information in your bulletin on uh, that if you'd like to sign up and continue to encourage a, a teacher and pray for them. Lord knows we all need prayer. Um, so be a prayer warrior for somebody today. Thanks. Let's all stand and sing together number 
All right, after you've greeted your neighbor, go ahead and have a seat. All right, do we have any first-time visitors with us this morning? Any folks that are just here visiting us today? You guys, right over here, guys. Um, first-time visitor, any others? Have not filled out a visitor's card or received a visitor's packet from us so that you have some information about our church? Well, we're glad you're here to visit today. I hope that uh, you will worship with us uh, today. Uh, We started off our our time this morning showing a couple of videos because today is 9-11, and it is an important day for us to remember. And uh, There's a lot of contrast between 9-11. I've thought a lot this week about uh, some things that I would say this morning uh, about different contrasts, and I thought about the fact that Um, There are in this room today, many of us that were there, I mean, as far as we were here, we were, we remember, we were old enough to remember, but there's many in this room today that, that weren't there, they weren't born yet. Um, And so for them to look back and, and they might even be questioning what happened on 9-11. So there's a lot of contrast. Uh, So we want to kind of talk about that for a minute. But there's another contrast that that goes right along with that. Um, In the sense that today is a special day for a couple of folks here uh, because it's their birthday. All right? Um, And the contrast is this. One of them is turned 88 today. And one of them turned 4 today. Now that's a contrast. But we want to sing happy birthday to both of them. Miss Willa, will you stand up? Yesterday she had a party and she was a princess. Can you believe it? I can. All right. And and Miss Daphne, if you don't mind, stand up because we want to have that contrast between a young princess and an older princess. So today we want to sing happy birthday to both of our princesses. So lead us, maestro. You are forever princesses. But that leads me to that contrast. So I want to ask the question today. Um, How many of you remember where you were on 9-11-2001? Raise your hand. Isn't it amazing how something of that significance marks in our minds and, and we have locked I, I, I remember absolutely where I was um, and what I was doing that day I, I was taking a group of our folks from our church down to Thomasville to the Baptist Children's Home and the van that I was driving didn't have a working radio so we were in the dark but we needed to stop to get some gas so we stopped in the, radio, the van that was following us from another church said, have you heard? Heard what? We don't have a radio. So um, I went into the gas station to find out what was going on. And then that day, spent that day watching on a screen in Thomasville at the Baptist Children's Home all of the events that took place and knew that this was a significant event in our country. 
It was a turning point. And what I saw the, the, the weeks after was I saw a little bit of low as the country kind of went into mourning, and then I saw increase in, in attendance in the church. But unfortunately, it didn't last. We, we were moved by the event, but it wasn't a lasting movement. It wasn't a revival of heart. It was just a, a concern for a nation. Now I want to ask the second question. How many of you have served in our country's military after 9-11? Stand up. We want to thank you for your service. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, many of you in here, I look around and I see many little heads and I know that you're going, we don't know what you're talking about probably. But I want you to know that we have come to a point of remembering this because it is an important event. An event that has shaped how that things have happened as you have grown into this world and will continue to affect how you grow into this world. And so today, in our time of prayer, I want us to take just a few moments. I guess another question I do need to ask is, was there anyone here that uh, lost a loved one, someone that had a family member in any of those traumatic events that took place on that day? Any, anybody here? Okay. But all of us felt the sting and we felt the concern, those of us that are old enough. So today, I want us to just take a few moments of prayer to remember what our nation went through and to thank God for his faithfulness in our nation. But I also want us to take a few moments to pray about the fact that if we if we don't want to have to go through that again, we as a church need to continue to pray a hedge of protection about our nation. We as a church need to ask God to teach our nation what it needs to learn so that it would not have to learn that from war. Now, I thought about the fact that, you know, we've had some traumatic events. I, I got the opportunity this year to go to Hawaii uh, and, and go to Pearl Harbor and stand over the sunken ship and, and the emotions that, that I was not there, <laughs> um, but, but I was able to be there to remember that lives were lost. And our nation has had its ups and its downs. But I want you to understand that as a Christian, we have the power of prayer to bless a nation we have the power of prayer to help a nation. We have the power of prayer to do nothing for our nation if we don't pray. So in the next few moments, I want us as a body just to pray, and, and then um, we'll close our time of prayer. Tom, I'm going to ask you to close our time of prayer this morning uh, for us. So um, you just go ahead with every head bowed and every eye closed. And children, if you would, just... 
do your best to, to be still for just a couple of moments here.
makes you want to get up and start heading that way now, don't it? Amen? All right, as the choir is coming down, Children's Church, you are dismissed. Parents, if you have not signed them in, uh, please go out there to the computer, get them signed in, and make sure you are the one that signs them in, checks them in, checks them out, and uh, that way you'll be able to get the right child back at the end of the morning. So, Miss Willa, you make sure you go out and stand on your head so they know who you are. All right. Go that way. Go that way. Go. Where are you going? Go that way. we got our children situated and those folks heading in the right direction. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, for those of you that might not have been here recently, we are uh, working our way through the uh, book of Philippians. We've been looking at it, uh, passages and verses by verse and that kind of thing. So we're going to look at a few verses today. Uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And uh, today I want to talk to you about the search for contentment. I, I'm glad the choir chose to sing that last song as, as the last song because, you know, it kind of reminds me that's what uh, contentment is about. That I, I know that I have a, a mansion. I don't know about a harp because I can't play one down here, so I'm not sure I'll be able to play one up there, but I don't know. I but uh, I hope that uh, my life here is, uh, will continue to earn some crowns that I can lay in Jesus. Um, let's stay together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, as the Apostle Paul talks to us about this uh, uh, subject of contentment. Uh, starting in verse 10, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therein to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. Father, as we bow before you this morning, humbled in our that the Apostle Paul would give to us these words as he wrote this letter to the, his dear friends at Philippi after experiencing uh, so many traumatic things in his life he, he summarizes the fact that Lord God um, it matters not or it should not matter if when we reach this place of contentment what we have or don't have but what we have in you is all we need so, Lord, we know that, Father, heaven is just around the corner. That, Lord, the promises that we have of what you have in store for us are abounding. And, Lord, they're, they're overwhelming. But yet, Lord, we're looking forward to walking the streets of gold and spending time in that, that uh, wonderful capital of Jerusalem. Lord, now we pray that as we talk about how to live in contentment while we're here. We know we will there. Help us to learn what we need to learn today that we might get a step closer to that 
very place where we can be content in what the Lord has for us. Now move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross that it's not my word, but your word that is proclaimed and spoken today. And may the Spirit of God fall upon this place and minister to every heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. As the Apostle Paul talks to us about his life and the journey that it took for him to get to the place of contentment, we all know that we all want to be content. We all know that we should be content, but many of us understand that we're not fully there yet, and we'll talk about why that is. And I'm going to begin by, by sharing a little story. An airline pilot was flying over a Tennessee mountain, and he pointed out a lake to his co-pilot. See that lake, he said? When I was a kid, I used to sit in a rowboat down there fishing. Every time a plane would come overhead, I'd look up and wish that I was flying it. Now I look down and wish that I was in the rowboat fishing. Isn't that the way we oftentimes are? We look for something, and when we achieve it, then we look back and say, boy, I want what I had. Contentment can be that elusive pursuit. We go after it. We go after what we think will make us happy, only to find that it didn't make us happy at all. In fact, we were happier before we started the quest. It's like the story of the two teardrops floating down the river of life. One teardrop said to the other, Who are you? I'm a teardrop from a girl who loved a man and lost him. So who are you? I'm a teardrop from the girl that got him. It's all about perspective. Everyone is in search of contentment, but most people fail to find it somehow. We cannot find contentment in things of this world because they cannot and will not satisfy us. Just think about this. Did the last month have purchased make you as happy as you thought it was going to? Are you now eternally content because you have made that last wonderful purchase? If so, how long do you think it will last? It is amazing how often we are convinced ourselves that there is something or someone out there that can make us happy and content. That's because contentment is not found, it is learned. Charles Spurgeon said this, Contentment is not a quality that comes naturally, but a discipline to be acquired gradually. So how do we learn the qualities that come naturally? Or not, don't come naturally, but a discipline of that quality. How do we search for contentment? Let me give you a quick word of caution first. Before we go much further, we need to establish what Paul means when he speaks of the word contentment. Contentment is not spiritual complacency or what Revelation speaks of as lukewarmness. Meaning that we should never be content with indwelling sin. We should never be content. I have arrived spiritually. Unless you have taken your last breath, 
You should never be content spiritually. We must pursue holiness without what, which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12 says. We have a good work to do. And God reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 that He will finish that good work within us. We must never become lazy, unfruitful, or ineffective as Christians. It is proper for us not to be satisfied with our current spiritual maturity because we desire to grow in faith, hope, and love. Now in Paul's very personal, what Philippians is, is a very personal letter to what we found is a most beloved group of people. The old apostle who is nearing the end of his life in ministry speaks of a subject that he says is illusion to many, but can be accomplished by those who strive. That of contentment. He even informs them that he himself has found the secret to this rather elusive virtue. What I want to do today is just out of these three verses, I want to very quickly give you four principles that I believe the Apostle Paul gives to us that leads the way to finding or capturing this challenging and godly and most mature virtue that we call contentment. We must remember that it is not something that is just going to fall in our lap. It's not something that we can get just because we got saved. It's not something that we can buy, not something that we can earn. It's something that we experience. So in verse 10, we find that the Apostle Paul reminds us here that the, and the search of contentment begins with this that we should appreciate whatever we have. We must appreciate what we have. In verse 10, he reminds us of this by saying, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. The first step to learning the secret of commitment is to rejoice in God's provisions. Now, I know that God has provided I don't know what he's all provided all of you. I know what he's provided me. But I know that he's provided. So when we think about his provisions, we need to be reminded that these are things that God himself has given unto us and we must be thankful for. This starts by acknowledging that everything that you have comes from God. Now, I know I get this all the time, but preacher... I work for what I got. I go to work every day. I work 12 hours a day. I put in a hard day. I did that. Yeah, you did. Praise the Lord. But let me ask you, who gave you the strength to get out of the bed that morning? Who gave you the job to do? Who gave you the, the, the ability to do what you do? Who gave you the opportunity to do what you do? Yes, you have a part to play. We all have a part to play. We all got to get up and get at it. But God is the one who created it all. And we must remember that it is everything that we have comes from Him. We work for a paycheck, but He provides our health. We, 
we work because we have been given skills. We have opportunity to work because God has provided it in our society. It all comes from the Lord. Everything that you have comes from God. Those times when you are in need and, and either your church or, or, or a family member or a friend comes through for you, yes, thank God for those too. Thank God for those who recognize that there was a need and, and that they could re- uh, help you to receive. But remember that when you're thanking them, remember to thank the Lord because it is He who put that upon his, their heart. All things come from the Lord. Paul has already told the Philippians in, in, in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And now here in verse 10... He practices what he preaches. Notice again in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says it a little differently this time. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. You might ask the question, well, Paul, with all this going on in your life, the, 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 the imprisonment, the, the hardships, the 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 the, the threatening days that you had to get to where you are. Paul, what in the world do you have to be greatly uh, grateful for? He's chained to a Praetorian guard under house arrest, eating a ration, meager diet perhaps, without many friends and most assuredly forgotten, he says, by most of the church. But instead of complaining, Paul reminds us, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Why, Paul? Because Paul is focusing not on what he lacks, but on what he has. You see, the difference is when we remember what we have, we oftentimes have the ability to forget what we're lacking. And the Apostle Paul reminded himself of that which God had done for him, not which he was lacking. But what does he have? Notice what he says in that verse. Now that uh, at last your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now let me just remind you about what's taking place here. A, a man by the name of Epaphroditus has come from the Philippian church bearing gifts unto Paul, financial support for his time of need. And when Paul saw Epaphroditus show up, his heart was flourished within him. His joy was overwhelmed through him because he said, I I have been without, but yet within I've had everything, and now you have come to meet the without. Epaphroditus has arrived in Rome with some meager money that would meet Paul's small needs. And Paul begins to rejoice over this gift that, that for what it represents in their care for him. As a matter of fact, we'll look a little bit further into this. In the next uh, few verses, Paul addresses more about this gift of giving and, and, and talks a little bit about it, so we're not going there today. But I wanted to kind of remind you what has stirred his thankfulness. Now, it's interesting, when I looked at the words that are being used here, uh, this word that Paul uses describes uh, his concern with one word, translated here, flourished. 
your care for me has once again flourished, which refers to a flower blooming again. I thought of our second chance flower ministry, the fact that, you know, flowers that were once headed for the garbage are now flourishing again. They're blooming in the hearts of those that receive them as as joy. What Paul's basically saying is that their gift was like fresh flowers that had just begun to bloom. And Paul begins to rejoice greatly. Notice, he didn't say, in your gift. He said, in the Lord. Again, Paul remembering that all things come from the Lord. Because for Paul, here is in his rented quarters where he's under house arrest. He has just turned his home, this place, into a garden in full bloom. If you want to learn the secrets of contentment, we must begin. If we want to become content in all of our circumstances, we must begin. If we want to understand how that we can be content whatever comes our way, we must begin we must begin to realize that God is the provision of everything that we have. And we must rejoice in his care for us. So therefore, we must appreciate whatever we have. And once we do, you're on your way to experiencing learning true contentment. The second thing that Paul tells us here is found in verse 11. And he reminds us that we should apply what we have learned. You see, contentment is a learned experience. If we want to be content, we have to apply the principles that we've learned along the way so that we can be. Again, look at verse 11, and I want to share it with you. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. The Apostle Paul reminds us here that the verb that Paul uses informs us that, that it must be learned by a means of experiencing. And listen, over time. I want you to understand something, that this was not something that Paul learned by going through one event. For those of you saying, but preacher, you don't understand, it's just one thing after another. yes. It was with Paul. Do you remember that Paul said, um, do you know about my life? He said, I, I, I was stoned. I was cast out of the city. I was um, shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day in the sea. I, I was imprisoned. I was beaten. I was stoned. Um, I was near death. He went on and on and on and on. And he said, these are the experiences of my life. These are what I learned from. There wasn't anyone Listen, if you can learn contentment in one lesson, praise the Lord. I didn't. I haven't. Not sure I'm fully there yet, just to be honest. But the Apostle Paul reminds us here that he has went through these experiences over time. Which means if Paul had to learn contentment, so do you and I. We don't get contentment just because we get a Bible. We don't get contentment just because we walked an aisle. We don't get contentment just because we're saved. It's not a spiritual benefit that we get upon salvation. It's something that we earn and learn as we go through life with God. For Paul, it grew out over a lifetime as he faced adversity in situations. 
And finances, health, relationship, learning to apply the truths of God uh, was what he did. Paul said no matter what he faced, learning to grip tightly, not on his expectations of what he thought should happen, but gripping tightly on the grace of God in the midst of whatever happened was his source for learning. Look at what it says again in verse 11. I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. The word that was used for learn refers to that of being taught, something so that it becomes a custom or a habit in our life. You know, we have a lot of those. Um, we have a lot of things that we do habitually that we don't even think about. We just do them because they've become a custom, because they've become a habit in our life, something that we do. We, we, we've trained ourselves over time to do it, and now we don't even think about it. We just do it. Um, how many of you just breathed? Did you think about it? No, it's a habit we have if we want to stay alive, okay? It's something we do without even thinking about. Again, Christ-centered contentment is not something that we, we um, possess. It's something that we learn. One writer said it like this. He said, it is... It is not installed in our hearts like software program preloaded into a new computer. You need to add it to your already program. Contentment is not great gained eternally. It is grown, or I mean, not gained externally, but it is grown internally. And we have the responsibility to do it within us. Keep in mind that the idea of learning in biblical terms is never related to simply knowing a truth, but it is applying the truth in which we know, which translates knowledge into wisdom, which is why in biblical terms, the opposite of wisdom is not stupidity. The opposite of wisdom is simply disobedience. Now, I get this from James chapter 4, verse because this, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is okay? No, it is sin. It's disobedience. Him that knows what is right to do and yet does not do it to him, it is disobedience, which is sin. The opposite of, of wisdom is disobedience. We have learned what God requires of us know what he requires of us and we don't do it. It's disobedience. It's not stupidity. It's disobedience. And requires obedience over our disobedience. This is something according to Paul's own testimony that he said that he learned over a lifetime of practice. So if you're like me and you don't really think you've arrived yet, but you've gone through enough that you say, Lord, couldn't I be here? We know that it's something that takes time for us to go through. And, and that's our responsibility in life. 
Let's make sure we're doing the homework that God has given us so that we can learn the lessons that he's wanting to teach us. Charles Spurgeon wrote on this text and, uh, and the subject of contentment, and I thought this was good. It, 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 he says, is, contentment is not something that may be exercised naturally, but a science that is acquired gradually. Brothers and sisters, hush that complaint, as natural as it is, and continue as diligent students in the college of contentment. Man, I've made it to college. <laughs> you know, got out of high school finally. My teachers told me I was never getting out. <laughs> but praise the Lord. Spurgeon says that we can go to the college of contentment. But what I found out when I went to college, it wasn't like going to high school. You know what? They no longer followed you around and asked, did you do your homework? Are you going to turn it in today? They just simply said, if you don't do it, I don't care. If you want to graduate, you better do your work. If you want to go to class, go to class. If you don't want to go to class, that's on you. You see, and that's what God's saying to us. Listen, I've given you opportunity to learn these things. The question is, do you want to go to class? Do you want to do the study? Do you want to take the time that it takes to learn the lessons that I'm trying to teach? If so, then you will graduate in the class of contentment. But if not, you'll flunk out like so many others and wonder why it's so elusive. So let me give you this word of advice. Stay in school. Most of our little ones are gone, but our, even our younger ones, let me just give you that word of advice. Stay in school. Practice the assignments of, uh, of gratitude. Do the homework of responsibility, and you will see a clear path to graduating in contentment. So what's the third thing? It's found in verse 12. We should accept whatever God has, wherever God has us. We should accept wherever God has us. And, 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 you know, um, God takes us down many different journeys. Look at verse 12. I know both how to abase and I know how to abound. What he was saying was that there, there is a, a wide berth here, if you would, a wide road in which the Apostle Paul has found himself in. So does Paul really mean that um, he is content wherever the circumstances take him? Or is he simply just exaggerating here, trying to get us to kind of just accept life? Just in case you think he might not really mean what he says, Paul goes on to describe his own experience. Look at verse 12 again. I know both how to abase and I know how to abound in everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul kind of just tells us that I've been there. I've been on both spectrums. Paul has lived on, on, on each of them. He's experienced times of excruciating need and experienced times of plenty. And he's learned the secret of being content in both situations. Paul didn't seek satisfaction in material things when he didn't have them. And he didn't seek satisfaction in material things when he had them. We're all familiar with being discontent, aren't we? You know, you know we all have experienced that a time or two. When we have a little, 
But discontentment can be a problem even for people who have a bunch. Let me just give you a few temptations that come our way when we try to be content in our abundance of things. One, the temptation to find your satisfaction in things rather than in God. So let me point you back to the Apostle Paul. He didn't say, when he said, I, I have learned to be abound in much, I have learned to be abased in, in nothing. But he said, I am grateful to the Lord. You see, he didn't say, I'm thankful for the stuff. He said, I'm grateful to the Lord. You see, the reminder is that Paul says that when we put our stuff ahead of God, we put ourselves in a problem. And the temptation oftentimes is to find our satisfaction in getting new stuff instead of holding on to the God who is always faithful. The second temptation is to take pride in, in our possession. Look at what I've got. Look at what I've bought. Look at what I've worked for. Look at, look at all my good stuff. Look at my awards. Look at my blessings. Again, the Apostle Paul didn't say, I could talk about what I've accomplished. But he said, I'm going to talk about my Lord. Number three, the temptation to be greedy for more. Howard Hughes, back many, many years ago, those of us that are old enough to remember old Howard, he was asked a question in his multiple, um, you know, uh, empire that he had built in a lustful way. How much? Howard, you've got all this money. You've got all of this wealth. How much more do you need? Anybody know what his response was in that interview? Just a little bit more. You see, the temptation is that what, when we start looking at our stuff, the temptation is to become greedy that, oh, okay, I'm almost there. If I can just get a little bit more, if I can just work a little bit more, if I can just get it, then I'll have it. The last temptation is to worry about losing the things that you have gained. Stephen Fowler puts it like this, abundance simply shifts one's focus from getting things to keeping things one has. You see, that's the thing. When we try to hold on to what we have, when God says to let go of the things of this world, hold on to me. You see, the only promise that we have is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Not that our stuff won't leave us or forsake us, but he won't. So quit hanging on to your stuff and start hanging on to him if you want true contentment. Paul had learned to be content in all circumstances because his contentment was not dependent upon his circumstances. Paul told the Philippians not to worry about anything and now he's modeling that for them as he talks about Christian contentment. Remember, Christian contentment doesn't come naturally to any of us. It is something that we have to spiritually obtain as we walk through the life in which we are called to live. The secret to learning contentment is to be content wherever 
God has you in life. Where are you today? Is it where you want to be? Is it where you should be? Is it where you could be? You see, for many of us, it's probably not where we want to be. It's probably not where we could be. But I believe for the most of us, it better be where we should be. Lord, I'm right in the center of your will. I want to be right where you want me to be. I want to learn what you want me to learn. I want to be in that right place. So wherever it is that the Lord has you, make it the right place to learn the lesson of contentment. You know, we need to make sure that we don't mistake Christian contentment for personal laziness or lack of godly ambition. If you're in a bad situation, then we need to pray about it. It, it, And we need to work towards changing where we are. Are you lacking in Christian character? Ask God to help you to become more like Him and less like you. Are you struggling struggling in finances and illness? Do you, do you want your circumstances to change? Then seek the face of God. But in the interim, while you're waiting for the desired change to come about in your life, trust God with your circumstances. Seek to honor Him in your circumstances. God has good things to teach all of us, even in the most difficult of circumstances in which we find ourselves. And you have to make sure that you don't miss the lessons that need to be learned so we can graduate with a degree of contentment. The last thing that I want you to find is in verse 13. And How many of you know this verse by heart? Raise your hand. How many of you know this verse by heart? This verse talks about that we should abandon ourselves to his will, but I think that unfortunately we oftentimes read this verse incorrectly. Let me just read verse 13 to you for those that don't know it. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I looked up the fact that this verse, this is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. You see it posted on posters, you you see it written on t-shirts, you find it on coffee mugs, keg, how many times perhaps have you printed this one? This is a wonderful verse, but fortunately one that is all too often um, misquoted, even though it is filled with encouragement and strength. Unfortunately, it is all, all too often most misapplied verse in the Bible as well. Many people read this verse apart. We take it out of context. We read it just for that verse. And we, we make it say things like this. That I can do anything I want through him who gives me strength. And so the person who wants a new car but can't afford it says, listen, I can go out and buy that new car and make that payment because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, Lord, um, I need that money. (laughs) The payment's due. (laughs) Uh. All right, how about this one? Um, For those of our students who say, "I, I, I, I got a great big test today that I've got to pass. 
Don't worry, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, but I forgot to study. Lord? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we tend to use this verse thinking that it is a, 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 a um, magic spell. That as long as I use this verse, I can do whatever I want. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying at all. The verse is an inside scoop on Paul's learning curve here while he was in school. It isn't saying I can do anything. It is not even saying I can do everything. Paul is saying I can do all things through Christ. But what are those all things that he meant? He just described them. He said, I can suffer hardship. I can go hungry without resentment. I can handle overflowing cups and balance the load. I can hold on to the lowest and, and humble status on the food chain. I can be stuffed with food and I can be starving for food. I can be content in all things. How? Through the strength of the indwelling Christ that lives within me. That's the meaning of this verse. That's the evidence here. One writer said it like this, As I have learned to abandon to him everything I am and everything I do, I find him the strength to do whatever he wants me to do. Here's the promise. God is effectively promising to give you the strength to do whatever he asks you to do, not whatever you want to do says, listen, my promise to you is that when I put you in this circumstance, when I put you in this situation, when I give you this calling, I will give you the strength to get through it. I will take care of you, my child. That's the promise. It's a great encouraging verse, but it's so often misused and we walk away saying, God, you lied. No, he didn't. We just misapplied his wonderful truth. Secret to contentment is not self-sufficiency, but it is Christ-sufficiency. Christ is all that I need. The strength I need does not come from within, but from without. When I was weak, then I am strong, Paul said. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength, who comes in me. Therefore, we must abandon yourself to Christ if we want to be full of true strength. I'm not telling you that you can walk away today and you will be content with what I've told you. I'm telling you I've given you the principles for a lifetime of living with Christ that will lead to a contentment in Christ. Our teenagers are probably not going to be content. Our young adults are probably not going to find contentment. But I hope our seniors, Christian adults, have come to learn the level of what it takes to be content in Christ. Let our lives be an example. The Apostle Paul said in a previous verse, and, I, and, I, and I, we talked about this, what you have heard and seen in me, do. 
What he was saying was, we need to be the example. For those of us who have been around more than a day or two, those of us who have been in it, in the thick and the thin, and up in the downs, and, the, and we have had hardships as well as the blessings, and we have experienced the, the goodness of God, and we have experienced the harshness of Satan, and we have found that he, the Lord, has always been faithful, never left, even though we've walked away. He's always been faithful. Let our light so shine so that those who are coming behind us might see the path of contentment. Let us lead the way. Let us be like the Apostle Paul and say, let my life be an example unto you in how to live a contented life. So how did Paul learn to be content? What was the secret to his contentment? Remember, to be content means to be satisfied. And what did Paul say that he was satisfied with? Christ. I'm satisfied with Christ. He's enough. The secret to contentment is to understand and acknowledge that when you have Christ, you have enough. So I challenge you. Don't live in the land of discontentment, but live in the school of contentment. Doesn't mean that we're going to get it right now. It means that we're working towards graduating into contentment. So that one day, we'll walk those streets of gold and say, without a doubt, Lord, it was worth it all. All the lessons, all the ups, and all the downs, you were worth it all. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to lift our voice before you, to give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask that, Father, as we search for contentment, let us not look for it in things people apart from you. Nothing or no one measures up. You are enough. But that lesson is only learned through time and through ups and downs. And so, Father, wherever your people find themselves today, rather in the ups or the downs, may they find you there, teaching them the lessons of how to be content in you. Father, take us from this place to that place.